Man, I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions, it's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves and to help our companies take on different strategies, pick the right technology, pick the right partners. And of course, you got to have great tasting food. You got to have great tasting beverages, packaged goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're going to lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge. Go back, pick out some brands and CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're going to find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week. But I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different, better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week Stay tuned for this week's episode. Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. I'm Tony Moore, and I've got Kevin with me again today. Kevin, how are you, sir? You made your transition up to Athens, Georgia from uh, Miami. I did. Totally day and night, but uh, but I'm actually, I actually like it. Um, I'm a big UGA fan as well, so that helps. Well, how long were you in Miami? I was there. I left Atlanta in 2017, so uh, right at five years. That is going to be a night and day difference coming from Miami to Athens. A little bit landlocked here. Little bit landlocked, uh, a lot less humid, although we do get our fair share of it up here. But what a great time to be on the campus of Athens. I mean, uh, Georgia is the, the place to be for college football. Yeah, national champions. That's right. So no talk of Kansas today, right? Oh, the basketball champs. Yeah. No, no. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> oh, there it one. is. Well, um, so glad you could join us today, Kevin, because we've got another brand to talk to today. We've got Zane Adams from Fed Up Foods. He's the um, are, are you are you the CEO, president, founder, Zane? Because I know you've got uh, there's a a female a female ownership involved in this too. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I serve as the co CEO, so I get to do all of the external conversations and shareholders and market and 
all of those kinds of pieces <laughs> and that, that get there. And then Janine is uh, the other co-CEO. She operates more. Yeah. She operates more as more as a internal and she's very much like making sure that the trains run on time packages and things get out um, from the operational side of the business. And then our other business partner, Sarah, uh, who's also co-founder. She, I like to think of her as the heartbeat of the company. She gets to, serve as the chief of happiness as it will chief of oh people. my gosh she, chief she of happiness i need one of those around here right i know i we envy her on that <laughs> i love that uh chief <laughs> chief of happiness yeah. i'm like the the chief of podcasting i don't know i could use a little uh chief of, of happy everyone could chief use that well we're going to dive into your company and your brand today and i think kevin's going to help us kind of lead the brand discussion and then our main topic today zane is going to be you know around building a regenerative supply chain and that is a just a fascinating topic and i i'm really looking forward to getting into that and you know the benefits for a company for a manufacturer for the community it's a it's a real interesting setup um, so, yeah, Kevin, why don't you kick us off and kind of get us into uh, Fed Up Foods here with, with Zane? Yeah, that's uh, Tony. Thanks for the lead in. So, Zane, here, here's the obvious question for me. If it, it, You know, I've taken a look at your website, which I really enjoyed because it really is a learning process as you go through it. Um, and, and I know you've got a story behind the brand, but just the obvious is the name is Fed Up Foods. So can yeah. you can you tell me <laughs> what prompted that and what that means? Um, that's a great, I love that you led with that. Um, because fed up foods was kind of a brainchild. We, we started to really think about us, uh, as a group of people who came together about 15 years ago to do functional fermented beverages. And that's a big mouthful, but it's basically looking at all the ancient stuff that all of those folks back in the day used to do, um, that felt that uh, kind of fell out of vogue, if you were, like refrigeration came into play and life started changing. And so we wanted to kind of get back to that like nourishing tradition of finding those foods and beverages that kind of support our body and well-being. And so we, you know, we, we started uh, the, the business uh, and created a small brand called Bucci and, you know, started producing from there. Um, and as the brand grew, uh, we found that, uh, you know, we created really and truly created the business to fulfill our mission. So we're very mission forward. And we said, you know what, this food system, you know, sucks. It's super extractive. <laughs> you know, everything is so fragile. Food insecurity is like huge. You know, we are in the mountains of Appalachia. So, you know, we're kind of built a little bit differently here where you just can't run down to the store if you're missing like, you know, some pasta or, you know, some bread or some vegetables. You know, it's it, it, I mean, it's a pack out kind of situation. You got to got to take an envoy and go in, you know, it's a drive. <laughs> yeah, so if you've we, not been up to the North Carolina mountains. He is not joking. What size farm are you on, Zane? Um, well, we own um, a, a spot out here that's about 120 acres. We um, have uh, farming down in the lower part of the property and um, do a lot of water collection. And all the houses that I own are, are off the grid, quote unquote, meaning that we're not grid tied. Um, and then uh, Sarah and Janine also own properties within about 10 miles of each other. Um, and we're all kind of nestled here in this area, which is uh, called uh, Madison County, which is the small town. The county seat is called Marshall. 
And uh, we, you know, we, when we started the business, we lived together for about six years on a farm called Herb Mountain Farms when we first pushed the brand out. Uh, and that was about, uh, probably about five, six years ago. And, um, you know, we, we really believed that, you know, if we are to make a, a sizable, I guess, difference or chunk in what we do, we have to really, really focus on changing up the way that food is grown and how we get it. And so fed up foods came out of that. It was just kind of like, we're fed up both with one, the extractive food system and what it costs to get good food. And the idea that you can't make really good organic, healthy food, affordable and accessible. And we were also fed up in a positive way, meaning our lifestyles really supported really deep nutrient foods, relationships and connections with each other. So we said, why don't we put it together? And to be honest, because, you know, I, I championed the marketing front. I really love the FedEx brand. I think it's brilliant from the way they put it together. So I was like, <laughs> FedEx, fed up. Yeah. Um, right. And so that's how it happened. And our, our team always would say, you know, I, fed up seems like it's very anarchist. It seems very confrontational, you know, and we're more, you know, want to get along with everyone. And I said, you can't have a diamond without tension and you can't actually <laughs> process attention unless you have two counterpoints of interest and uh, perspective. So fed up kind of came out of that, out of that world. Yeah. And it definitely worked because that was the first thing that uh, I thought of was I, I got to understand more about this from the guy that came up with it. So, yeah. so I, I, I do appreciate that, uh, uh, the explanation about the name and you mentioned Bucci yeah. um, and started out as a small brand, but you're more than just Bucci. Well, can you talk about Bucci and then also yeah. talk about you're more than just Bucci? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Happy to. So, um, yeah, I mentioned earlier a little bit that the, the small seed or, or what kind of like where we kind of are gestated in the womb, for lack of a better word, uh, is a small brand called Bucci. It's a consumer facing brand that uh, started in kombucha, which is a fermented tea that offers a lot of benefits in terms of detoxifying acids and digestive enzymes. And, uh, we, you know, started that at a small farmer's market and begin to grow it really based upon demand. And then as we continue to grow, we looked at the, the landscape, an enormous amount of competition. A lot of our friends and good friends uh, are kombucha brewers, all the way from GT Kombucha to Health Aid to you name it. We were able to get on and, and work with a lot of the brands. We started to think about, um, you know, we don't want to compete with our friends. We want to try to create some kind of scale to the suppliers that we worked with because let's face it, organic food at the time, and this is about 10 years ago, um, you know, even though it's, it's more accessible, it's really freaking expensive, right? Um, and so we just started to think, we're like, hey, if we actually really want to make a difference, if we actually want to bring regenerative supply line into, you know, a, a competent conversations, where our shareholders are not thinking that we're, you know, just giving the business away for charity, you know, we have to create scale. And so fed up foods began to emerge. And so we, we went to retailers and basically said, look, we have the scale to produce this and you're interested in kombucha. You're interested in functional fermented beverages. We make them, we lead in our industry. Why don't we just make the stuff for you? Uh, and then you can begin to work with a manufacturer that actually values 
uh, where food is grown, how it's grown, how it gets to market. Uh, and then, um, you know, we begin to systematically use uh, the resources of capitalism to shift the conversation from extractive to a regenerative point. And so that's where it really started to blossom about four years ago when we begin to work with some of these uh, private retailers. Um, and then it's expanded since, and we work with a couple of select brands in, in non-competing areas. But for the most part, we are supporting, um, you know, the big mega stores and, and uh, outlets where people go every day to buy groceries um, that can't afford a, to pay a whole paycheck, you know, um, to buy things uh, that are good quality food. Um, and the business has continued to have a rapid trajectory and growth from there. So you've got a couple, you've got a couple of revenue streams in, right? Zane, you've got your own private label, you got your Bucci, but then mm-hmm. you've developed partnerships with other retailers and you're, you're a supply chain, you're a supplier for them as well, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And I think the only way you're going to really make uh, organic food and regenerative kind of topics or regeneratively grown inputs actually accessible is you have to have it so that it's like, you know, readily available to anybody um, at prices they can afford. You know, if, if only it's like for windows, like if, if only the very wealthy can afford really incredible windows, you're never going to really deal with uh, having efficient housing. You just aren't. So you've, you've got to be able to provide really good quality at scale. And I think that's one of the really beautiful things about capitalism is that there's this exciting idea that says we can solve the world's most daunting challenges by the power of business that's really thoughtfully crafted and intentionally held. Sure. And and most of the products you, you grow on site, is that correct? Or do you export as well from other countries? We, we are, it's a high, you know, everyone's got biases, right? So I am biased towards, <laughs> towards South America. I think they're one of the U.S.'s most incredible trade partners. Uh, and we have found a lot. And I will say this. Uh, there is a very big appetite for organic and regeneratively grown produce in South America because it's not, um, the way that food has been held in those countries has been very different than our own. And so it's a lot easier to get them on board because there's already a deep value set around it. Uh, so we work a lot with South American countries. Um, we source, um, a good handful of our medicinals, uh, some of them here locally. Our sorghum molasses is still here. We partnered uh, a lot with Gaia Herbs, which is in Brevard here in North Carolina. They're an incredible, incredible uh, tincture company. And so we've sourced our echinacea from them. Um, we've had mint sourced locally. Um, and this kind of ties into Feta Foods. We were working with a lot more local providers and purveyors, but they weren't organic certified. And they were like, look, I'm just trying to grow the food. I don't use pesticides. I grow them at a really high standard, but I can't be bothered with like, you know, filling out the paperwork and going through so much bureaucracy. And because of that, we had to opt for uh, folks that were organically certified. And then we started thinking, hey, how can we help some of these other farmers be organic, but also regeneratively growing? You know, how can we start? And we said, I just got to start buying their stuff. So we, we source from a, a, a good collection of folks um, that are here in the U.S., but primarily we use a lot of our produce 
um, like mango purees and things of that sort that are sourced. I think our furthest source right now, believe it or not, is pomegranate. It oh, comes yeah. out of Turkey. Yeah. Um, because where it had been grown, where we'd sourced it before because of climate crisis, it just won't grow, you know? Um, and so people are looking further afield for it. So some of the things that we probably source the furthest afield, but um, we try to think about um, how does, how can the scale happen? What's the impact there? And then what's the footprint uh, coming into our doors? Zane, kind of walk us through this concept of regenerative supply chain because it, it you know when people get out there and w- want to research what that means it looks like you know you had a, a like the sustainability model but then regenerative takes it to another level maybe kind of walk us through that and kind of explain the the you know why it matters why mm-hmm. um you know why you guys have taken this on well we really uh struggle with uh trying to find uh, farmers who really kind of value, I guess, I don't want to say less work, but, but value letting nature do what it needs to do with a lot of, uh, with, with less kind of invasion into that process. And basically what that means is perennials are really wonderful thing. Um, Nature has put them in place to do what they do and they fruit and bloom um, uh, throughout the year. Um, and it allows us to move away from this kind of monocrop into more of this diverse food forest. Uh, so we started to think about with our beverages in particular, we use a lot of perennials um, and we use a lot of, of crops that uh, are actually uh, assisting us in this kind of climate crisis or this climate fight. So when we think about regenerative as a topic, uh, sometimes it's hard to think about because it really requires a complete circle or a full loop, as it were. And I'll just share this funny story. We were actually sourcing sugar. We thought, man, we're doing a good job. We're sourcing this organic sugar. Um, and we started to get down into the details of how the sugar got to us. And it was actually uh, one of the companies that Monsanto owns. Now, I'm obviously not going to wage a war against Monsanto. That's not, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's way above my pay grade, but I will say this. Um, and they've got a lot more lawyers than you do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Is that, you know, we're really super, we've, I've never been historically against genetified modified foods. Um, I, I just am way more interested in what nature has to say and discovering that first. So I, you know, I, we leaned in and said, Hey, this, stuff is coming from Monsanto. We understand what they do. And one of our employees were like, this is kind of crazy. Can we find a different sugar source? And so we went on this, this kind of mission to find a sugar source that actually grew things regeneratively. One of those groups and the one that we're most close to is called Global Organics and they're out of South America. They have a phenomenal process of growing whereby the process of their growth allows them to deepen interest and mineral inputs into reforcing the area where it's grown. They are um, kind of inoculating uh, species that have been um, taken for granted, I guess is a good way to say it, but have not been an active participant in how to like 
keep vibrancy in an ecosystem, meaning you just go in, you spray something, you harvest the sugar, get out of there, you crazy bugs. I need my sugar. Mm -hmm. um, where they kind of like encourage populations. Um, they've even bred incredible bacteria microorganisms that help keep the pest down in this really beautiful balance. Um, and, and they're phenomenally regenerative or grown sugar. What that means is that it regenerates itself. They don't have to continue to overwork the land. They don't have to input deep inputs into the soil because they're growing uh, crops that are supportive of a nutrient density and a nutrient diversity. Uh, and that informs the plant and how it grows. It makes it more resilient towards shift in weather. Um, it actually grows with the ecosystem. So when they go and harvest the sugar, you know, they're not uh, taking and creating a weaker system. They're actually taking off the excess that the system is like here. There's so much here that I'm working with. Use this uh, and uh, it doesn't impact me um, as an organism, as a plant. And so that's really what regeneration attempts to do is it attempts to, it begins to look at this entire ecosystem um, and not just plant, but also organisms and human and resources and figures out this incredible balance that literally it's almost like cruise control, you guys. It's almost yeah. like cruise control uh, where it continues to grow in this regenerative fashion. Imagine if we could get everyone in that process the level of impact in regards to climate crisis would be huge. So Zane, how, how do you do that? So think about this. If, if you're like, I grew up in a farming community and you basically rotate your crops. So it could be wheat for a couple of years, could go to soybean, could go to corn. So how do you develop a, a system like that? How, how does that work? I mean, they've clearly figured it out with sugar in South America, but how could you do that here in the U S? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I think that there is an, I wish I could spend all day farming and gardening. Um, I love it. Um, unfortunately, I've realized that my talents are more of a gentleman farmer, and I am able to find those people that are much more connected in green thumb. But what I've been able to learn is, you know, if we create almost what we would call a permaculture, and permaculture is basically looking at the landscape as a complete organism and understanding what inputs are needed where. So if you are uh, doing, let's say you're growing strawberries, just as, as an example, there are parts of the property that would be able to do an enormous amount of strawberry cultivation. And there are other parts of the property that might actually benefit blueberry growth better uh, in those parts due to sun and water and drainage and all of those items. So when you're planting a farm, the idea of having um, a dynamic ecosystem that allows things to grow. Also, by the way, introducing those elements will which will detract from pests who may like to eat the little blueberries um, or detract from the pests who uh, tend to glob on to the strawberries and cause them to get weaker and create those wonderful bits of what we look like foam, those little moldy bits that, that grow there when they get too bunched up in an area. Um, those types of practices are what we would think of as common sense, but it is really an infrastructure system that's built. And I can share one, one story. It's like when we lived on the six acre, or 120 acre organic farm and conservation woodland called Herb Mountain Farms, 
that was about five years ago. And we started really doing scalable brewing there. Um, the landowner had this incredible system of uh, growing garlic where garlic really wanted to grow. Now, as a nitrogen fixer created this opportunity for uh, burned products to grow behind it. And directly in front was this huge apple orchard uh, that produced. Uh, and then there was a stream that was created from the water that came down. So the water came through silt, which was really nutrient dense, and moved into the garlic areas. The garlic areas shed and it moved into the orchard areas. The water kind of continued through and the output of the farm was amazing. There's a wonderful Netflix film. I don't know if you've seen it. I think it's Farm or is it Living on the Farm? Um, and the biggest Little Farm? Yes, that's it. You're so oh my good. gosh, I love that movie. And Isn't it good? Too. Oh my God. Kevin, if you've not seen this thing, it is literally the epitome, Zane, of what you're talking about, about this permaculture you know, holistic farm where you don't force food to grow in an area where you want it to grow. You literally analyze where everything would best be put. Mm-hmm. And uh, for example, there was one scene where they had these beautiful orchards that all of a sudden were being attacked slowly yeah. by snails. Remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they're like, what am I, oh my God, what are we going to do? And then release the ducks. And yeah. The ducks- <laughs> <laughs> And you, they came out at night and they munched down and just wiped out all the snails. And it was like, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. aha. Zane, have you seen the other movie um, called uh, Pollinators? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That one really kind of opened my eyes too to this farming yeah. strategy where yeah. you plant uh, um, crops next to your main crop that would attract mm-hmm. the pests so you can do yes. away with the pesticides and you were you were just talking about that yeah there's there's these incredible um what i would call technologies that um when you actually map them like you would map a business and that's why i love the biggest little farm because they mapped it as a business and they started thinking how do these systems work together when we go into the brewery uh, we're building our plant so we know where the water goes with the biggest machine and how that machine goes into loading and how that movement affects raw ingredients coming in and what's the flow of people. And we build this ecosystem in our brewery so that it, it allows itself to basically operate at a level of what we call creating capability or creating capacity and having true capacity. Like if you upgrade and work really well in an area, uh, in the brewery, but you don't add in cold storage, you don't have anywhere to store stuff. So you could have all the best machines, you could have really skilled workers, but if you don't have a place to store it, you're going to have an issue, at least in our business. So it's the same way around regenerative supply line. It's like you have to put yourself in the position of creating a whole systems that is integrated in in what you grow so that the yield is better. And one thing that I didn't mention before is nutrient density is super important to us in terms of not just how much is like how many apples could you eat, but what's the nutrient density in three apples compared to nine. And there are so many studies that nutrient density is directly related to the incredible power and nutrient density of soil. So if we have really good soil and we go really good stuff, 
imagine what that can do. Okay, this sounds crazy, guys. I know. Roll with me for a minute. <laughs> We're here. But, let's, but, but let's let's just say, for example, our system right now is based on like basically limiting uh, uh, supply, right? So supply and demand. So if you have scarcity, then you can create more prices, more people buy, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And your job here is to to get more, you buy more, 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 more. And to me, that comes from a very scarce mindset. I'm worried I won't have enough. So like the pandemic, I'm going to buy 29 packs of toilet paper. Right. Um, but imagine in our food system, if we change that, what if we grew really nutrient dense food? So instead of having to eat five uh, apples, you could eat one and it would be equivalent to five. What if you had, you know, three incredible tomatoes instead of buying a whole thing of tomatoes that people put in their salad and it falls to the bottom and they don't eat it and they figure, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Some people compost it, other people just throw it away. What if you actually had two or three really incredible tomatoes? And now instead of of the you buy more and that's what you know runs the scale up, what if you started charging based on nutrient density? What if it was reverse? To where you now begin to encourage less consumption, but better products and services that really deliver value. Uh, and this is something that's always happened, I think, in the premium markets. You know, when you buy something that costs a lot of money, um, you know, you're you're paying for the level of of work and craftsmanship. It's not like your Rolex watch is the size of your arm and that equals like how valuable it is. Right. Sometimes the most demure little Rolex watch is the most expensive because of the work and all the things that goes into it. You, you know what, Zane, what, what you described is pretty interesting. Well, first of all, sign me up. I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, I, let's I, do I, it. Yeah. Cause I mean, think about this. If, if you were to go to a doctor and you talk about, all right, what do you need to do for your health and the vitamins and you know, they would tell you, you got to eat nine fruit, you know, nine times a day fruit and you got to take, have all this intake. Nobody can do it. And right. so vitamins, a lot of times can be a substitute depending right. on how you feel about it. But what you described, you could get all the nutrients that, that you need for a healthy body and a mindset in just yeah. a few servings. I, I, it's a great idea. Yeah. And it's like, you know, our farming infrastructure that we have right now is so extractive and it takes up so much resources, so much land. I know, uh, I think what, I don't know, whoever was running for president, I can't even remember because I'm apolitical. I can't, one of them are running for president. It was this big conversation around cows and methane release and yeah. climate. And it's some, somebody did something and it was just kind of a big woofoo, I guess. But the, the truth is, is that there is, there is always going to be an offside or a, uh, uh, and I don't want to say negative, but an extractive side to what we do if we don't really think about the full system is cow grazing creating climate change. And that's the reason why we're going to come on. It's just one input. But in reality, if we actually had grass fed grazing that was rotational, that also worked with the whole other ecosystem, all of the things that are happening within the life cycle of a cow and the grounds that are on could actually support more regenerative food that's being grown. And so now it's just not, we have a cattle farm and we're doing beef and we're doing X, Y, and Z. We're actually inputs and creating inputs that allow the farmer who's been left out. I mean, I can tell you 
it's pretty scary, you guys, in terms of like who's going to be farming for the future. This big questions that we tackle every day and are talking about. The average age of the farmer is like sixty. Oh, it's a it's a thing. It is definitely a a thing. thing. Those small family farms they they're going away. The inputs are getting so high. Yep, you've got the consolidation of farms. I've talked about this before. It is. It's you need to start thinking about how to become self more self sustaining. Honestly, one hundred percent. One, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think self sustaining for families and growing the food that you eat, and then also you know the spaces where farmers are here. I mean, in our neck of the woods, you know, the average salary is is tiny. It's tiny. It's like twenty two thousand or something like that. Yeah. Something insane. And it's, it's, it's small. And a lot of the folks who were, you know, traditionally growing, we grew a lot of tobacco here. We grew a lot yeah. of tomatoes here, um, you know, have pretty much evaporated in particular in Asheville. A lot of dairy happened because of Biltmore. Those farms are pretty much gone. So now, in fact, they bring in organic milk from Texas and they right. co-pack it here. And, and it's just like, I look at it, I'm thinking, Okay, this could make me really depressed and and really like, oh my gosh, woe is me. Or I could be like, this is such an opportunity to provide some really good systems to help change up the conversation and, and create opportunities for wealth, not just money, but well-being and wellness for, for a great mass of people. How ironic getting, you know, having to ship organic milk uh, across seven yeah. states. You know, it it just doesn't make, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, as we start to wrap up here, Zane, I want to understand, you know, more about your brand and how you're positioning yourself to the consumer, how you're helping your white label customers present Mm -hmm. this to the consumer. And then finally, you know, what's the best way for people to find you, find your website and to begin to support, you know, your uh, your products and the products that your that your clients are are making. Um, there's there's a couple of of ways for folks to be uh, kind of into and supporting the work that we do. One is if you functional fermented beverages, and so that could be uh, probiotic sodas, that could be kombucha, that could be kefir, water kefir. Um, if you find and love your store where you shop and they offer it, it's it's a good likelihood that we probably produce it. Um, support it. Just go buy it and enjoy it and get as many friends as you can to drink it. So that's one way. I think the other uh, critical way to kind of think about fed up foods is, you know, when we are approached as a business, we created the opportunity to become a benefit corporation. And so what a benefit corporation says is it says we provide a benefit to our community each of our stakeholders are very important to us and it gives us a chance to create policy that just doesn't favor extremely high profits at the detriment of employees or for the planet. So we bring all of those three P's, people, planet, profit, all together at the conference table. And then in the center of our conference table is the mission. And the mission is going here. And we're like, what does this business, how can we fuel this mission? What do we, what does it need? And what part of our business can help us do that? Um, and so we kind of think about ourselves in a way where we're not just nurturing 
um, our own business, but we really are attempting to be a, uh, a manufacturer and a global partner that is rooted in its local community, but really aware uh, that it will take an entire village to, uh, to raise up a business. Um, and so we are really focused on creating opportunities for our employees um, and how they kind of connect with us. We don't need a ton. We just need great ones. Um, and so we reinvest in our employees uh, immensely. I'm so excited. We finally rolled out a 401k and we got paternity leave, baby. Nice. Uh, so we're <laughs> so we're doing that. Um, and so that's a big part of the business. Like if you want to work in a place that's got meaning and mission, we hope that folks will always take a look at us. So that's a way to support um, bringing us really great intellectual capital in the form of people and ideas. Uh, and then I'd say the third bucket for us is, um, you know, when we work with our private retailers, we bring them an opportunity to partner with us. And in the design of their program, we craft in what's called our sustainability premium. And it is directly linked to the work that we do in our regenerative farm supply, as well as a deeper sense of what can we do right now, hands on the ground. And so we've partnered with One Tree Planted, which is basically the whole goal of Eric and his team is just to put as many trees in the ground as physically possible. Wait, what's that and called so, again? One Tree? Yeah. One One Tree Planted. I've heard and of it. Yeah, it's really neat. So part of the sustainability premium that we charge to our private retailers, some of it gets allocated to what I would call boots on the ground, shovels in the ground, plants in the ground, one tree planted. Some of that premium is reallocated to creating wealth and well-being for our employees. And the third part of that is really using to prop up and support um, regenerative supply, meaning you know, prices have increased across the board. I think we have had close to 40% increase across the board, not alone, not just freight, just like everything. Yeah. All and the inputs, all of the, all of those coming into us, you know, we still want to make products accessible. We still want to make it affordable. And the private retailers like, well, that's great. I'm not going to necessarily give up my margin. So it's got to come from somewhere. So we were lucky to have that sustainability premium in place. And that has allowed us to, um, to take a lot of that hit. So we're not going back to the private retailer and saying, Hey, we have to raise our prices. We've done some incremental pieces here and there really for freight. But for the most part, we've kept our costing steady. So you can still go to the store and pick up an incredible regeneratively made organically sourced product in the form of a kombucha or probiotic soda or something like that um, without uh, having to pay an additional money on top of something that you can't already afford. So that's how that premium is paid. And that's why it's important that companies like us um, kind of are in the mix in this manufacturing growing kind of supply chain uh, phenomena that we find ourselves in post-pandemic. What's the best uh, way for them to find you? Is there a website, Zane? Yes, um, fedupfoods.co. Uh, I know it's not .com. It was taken. I didn't win that, Ooh. but it's okay. <laughs> fedupfoods.co. If you put in, if, if you go to Uncle Google, he knows everything. Um, and uh, you can also put in Drink Bucci. That's B-U-C-H-I. So drinkbucci.com. That's our brand. And it will get us, and then you can get linked to Fed Up Foods, which is the holding company. 
Um, you can find us that way. We also have a sister brewery that we are are connected to and own partially in South Korea. We launched their private label market around kombucha and functional fermented foods. Uh, and uh, that business is I'm Alive Kombucha. So that's over there in South Korea, not not knowing who and where your your folks are. Um, oh, I, ha- I um, work with it, Koreans. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, and I have some employees right now that are in South Korea. So there you go. Perfect. I'm alive. I'm alive. It's there. Um, Kevin, was there anything you wanted to to ask here that you, that you didn't get a chance to? Uh, no. So here's what's interesting about the Zane. It's you and I had talked very briefly before this, and I checked out your website a little bit in advance. But uh, this has been a learning lesson. Um, you guys are doing some really great work, um, protecting the environment, um, employing people, teaching them better practices. Um, I, I just think it's amazing what you, what you've done. And, um, it, it's, it's a fascinating company. I, I appreciate the chance to learn more about it. Thank you, Kevin. I, I really appreciate it. I mean, one of my biggest thrills is to meet people like yourself and Tony and, and really just try to hold the bigger conversation. It's like my friend Simon Waring, who just put out this book called Lead With We. It's an amazing book where he really starts to tackle the idea around capitalism or um, a friend of mine, Stephen Kotler, who's, who, who wrote Bold. It's like how to go big, create wealth, and I think it's impact the world. And I guess in closing, I would I would just encourage those who who you work with and and people that are nurturing your ecosystem uh, that we can really do some cool we can do some cool things on this planet like it feels like there's just a lot of nepotism it feels like there's just war and strife around corners it feels like there's this intensive divide between people but 90 percent of the things that we all can agree on 90% and in school 90 was an A let me tell you I would struggle for the A but I would get the 90% and then there's maybe 10% of the of the nuancy weird stuff that we can argue over why don't we just focus on the 90% why don't we focus oh, on amen. doing yeah. all the amen. things that we can do together you know and, and I, from your yeah. mouth to everyone's ears man yeah, right. that's the truth it's like we we just have I look at our incredible spaceship called planet earth yeah. and I'm like y'all this is really freaking cool. Now, there may be millions of them out there. That's great, but the one I'm on right now is pretty wicked. And I really want to be able to experience all of the richness that it has to offer. And it takes all of us, the business community, thought leaders, NGOs, all of those things thinking along, what's the 90% of the things that we all want? And let's build our engines of industry and our ideas around those kind of simple, basic concepts. I'm with you today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for joining us and leading the the brand discussion. And Zane, thank you for sharing your passion for food and regenerative and permaculture and, you know, just raising awareness around this desire that, yes, we can create a better food supply chain and look for that more nutrient dense type of, of option to really help us get out of this mono cropping, right? And get into this more, um, well, just as you said, this kind of holistic permaculture, I think that's absolutely perfect. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. Take care, Kevin.